0: there welcome back to Wednesday's Child and to the podcast where we get to talk about all things eating disorders and discuss the issues that you might be dealing with right now no matter where you are in recovery or maybe you're listening and you're someone who's trying to help support somebody with an eating disorder and you're trying to get a little bit more of an insight into how we think we feel when we're plagued by an illness that devastates so many people across the population. So, joining me, Debbie, on the podcast today is Sarah. Hi,
1: Sarah. Hello. I'm sorry if I sound a bit distracted at any point today, but my puppy is currently chewing my right foot. Oh,
0: amazing. (laughs) You've got an accompaniment on the
1: the pod today. Yeah, we've got a little mascot. What have we called called puppy? Well, puppy is Meg, and then I've got big old Lenny in the corner who's not very impressed that we've got this new addition, but hey-ho.
0: Oh, (laughs) And Meg is, what, chewing everything.
1: She, yeah, she's, yeah, she's currently dragging my work bag across the floor. But I'm not going to let that distract us from this all-important po- podcast. She can just get on and do what she's doing. Ah, that's lovely. (laughs) So, um, I'll I'll bear with you
0: if you get distracted (laughs) by a um a small furry animal. Um, I thought we'd kick off. So, we're going to talk today about the summer. Although looking out of both your window where you are in the north and where I am in it's not super super sunny today. I have to say, but we do know that we're heading towards the summer holidays and we were saying weren't we that actually it'd be really useful to look at what does you know this kind of next six week period in which most kids will be off school and and we view that as the world's summer holidays whether you've got Children or not, in this period of time, how do we navigate that? If you're going through an eating disorder, recovering from one, wanting to not relapse, and just look at some of those challenges that might be coming along over the holiday season. So we'll get into that in a second. But a thought, just before we do, I'm going to pick up on something that's in the news, and um, you know what I'm like. I'm a bit of a kind of a news hawk, and I do like to. uh, That's that's that kind of former journalist thing that can't ever get too far away from the news, but. So I woke up this morning and there was all these headlines and, and my heart kind of I doesn't know whether it just kind of wants to sink and feel exact absolutely exasperated or whether I just want to just add another sort of line or two onto this conversation um, every time stuff like this appears in the news. And, and what it was all about today was about the piece of research that's been done by this food, des- food czar for the government into how do we stop the nation being obese? And what's, going, what's it going to take to make families eat and uh, live healthier when we know that obesity is such an issue in society at the moment? And there were all these sort of headline-grabbing, and that's what we have to remember, isn't it? You know, it makes good headlines, but all head- headline-grabbing recommendations about taxing foods that are high in sugar and high in salt and as somebody who battled with an eating disorder for as long as I did and I know you'll be similar Sarah I think it's really difficult not to look at those headlines and think do you know what there's another bit of a story here and also just that kind of I really hope that there aren't people sitting there with an eating disorder thinking, oh, yes, I must tap into this, this this piece, this narrative. This is all for me. Yes, they're telling me I mustn't eat high fat foods. I mustn't because all that does is just allow the eating disorder another I don't know, it, it just sort of validates the eating disorder and gives it a reason to exist. So am I, am I the only one that kind of feels overly sensitive to headlines like that?
1: No, I think it's a really, really hard part of um, recovery, navigating the obesity, constant conversations that we have. And because there there isn't any escape from it at the moment, it doesn't feel like there is. It doesn't feel like there's been any escape from it from some time. And it's one of those things, isn't it, that I'm going to say now, and I know everyone that's listening is probably going to go, oh, yeah, okay, you know, that story, that narrative isn't for those of us that are in eating disorder recovery, yeah. but it doesn't matter when you're entrenched in it, in it. It doesn't matter how often people say that. I remember my dietitian and my nutritionist saying to me, that story is not for you. That article is not for you. That's not the journey you're on. But there's still that part of your head that goes, yes, but if everybody else is on it and everyone else has been told to do this, then surely I must do it too. But we we don't, we can't, we just cannot, we cannot even think about going down any kind of element where we're watching or over being cautious with our food whilst we're still struggling in the way in which we're struggling.
0: And it's in exactly the same way that when we say, oh, in, you know, January and you see everybody getting their trainers back on after Christmas and, talking about how they're going to exercise more. It's exactly the same way we have to say to our brains, no, 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 that's not for you. That might be for someone that was already in a really healthy weight or can afford to, you know, go and do some extra exercise. But it isn't for you because your body's trying to catch up and recover. And as you say, it's just sort of separating ourselves from that national dialogue, isn't it?
1: And my worry all the time is that kind of all of this conversation It just surely all it makes it does, it makes certain foods special and certain foods kind of put them on a pedestal. And we're not putting broccoli on a pedestal. We're actually putting sugar on a pedestal. And by saying to folks, you can only have X amount, X times a week. Then that that we know from eating disorder research and everything that we know about our own journeys and our own illnesses, that any element of that restriction and feeling like you're putting something off means that when you finally get there, chances are you're going to eat three four times as much as you would have done in the moment you know it goes right back to that in in any kind of eating disorder treatment and therapy that that we get they say don't they the second you feel like you want something you should have it then because you will have it and you'll move on if you put it off you'll keep thinking and thinking and thinking it'll become this great big massive thing and this big deal that gets you in such a heightened state that you'll either have some sort of anxiety episode or you'll end up going on a a binge fest because you just you didn't when you wanted one biscuit you didn't have it but now you'll have 24 biscuits and I just worry how much it's fueling that conversation for our children especially to be honest
0: and there will be people that will see this as another reason you know that that being in the headlines today if somebody has got a disordered relationship with food just hearing that will be enough for them to say oh well, that's it I'm stripping the cupboards of this and I'm not going to have this I'm not going to have that Well, in a week or so's time or whatever point where that sort of deprivation and restriction has got to a point where it's just unrelenting, then all those things will creep back in and they will be in abundance. And as you say, it will then feel like, whether it is classed as a binge or not, it will feel like a binge. The guilt will be there. It will feel like a shameful act when actually, as you say, if it was something that we just allowed ourselves to have as part of our overall healthy diet, then there wouldn't be that putting that piece of, you know, that particular food group on a pedestal.
1: Exactly. And and because of what I've been through, what I've learned on my journey with my illness and then my recovery, we just have free reign in our house. I'm not saying this is right. I'm certainly not advocating this for everybody, but you know, the the snacks are in a low cupboard. Everything is reachable and everything. You just, you just have and take what you want. But because of that, I do think my family's at a stage where like, you know, my daughter, she, she will have enough and then she'll stop. Yeah. Whereas I know of other children of of friends and things that, you know, their parents hide things and put things up high. and No, no, you can only have one piece of chocolate today. You can only have one yogurt today. And then the kids, you can see them almost like tiptoeing in and like, like taking little bits on the sneak. Like that's no way for us to be with our children. And it's certainly no way for us to be as adults. Um, it's just... I I, I don't know enough about obesity to really know why it's such a problem as it is. Um, I know obviously it causes a huge amount of health needs. It's just where it starts from. I don't know. We've got that path mapped out properly in my head.
0: No, I think the government's got to be really careful now, hasn't it? Instead of just saying, well, the easy option is just to propose taxation is actually what does the wider store what does the wider picture look like? so you know you and I were probably kids of what like mm, I was born late 70s, went to school, did have some home economics, learned to be able to make foods from scratch mum only did a supermarket shop once a week there wasn't any kind of rip open this back packet of this and whatever we didn't eat on the run it was very much you had a meal and you know yes we had snacks but not to the extent that everything came in a packet and we didn't know what was in it and maybe snacks at home were probably when mum had made homemade flapjack whatever whereas we've shifted so much haven't we to now a society where fewer people can cook from scratch is it can or is it They just can't because they haven't got the time. So there's a there's a mix there, I suppose. But there's knowledge as well as time. And also alongside that, you know, we've not only got way more supermarkets than we ever had, but we've got, you know, the aisles stuffed full of A lot of things that are ready made and prepared. And maybe there's a question about helping people understand how to prepare different foods, not saying that you can't have the pre prepared, but it's in a combination and the context of what you do. You know, it's like we talk about 80 20 all the time, don't we? You know, a healthy balance.
1: It, it is it is about restoring that healthy and necessary balance so i used to i used to say that to myself that was one of my mantras in in services restore the necessary balance sarah and it was the word necessary to me that was really important in that in that statement it is necessary for us to be able to know how to cook food from scratch and and eat vegetables and 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 Roast a chicken, but it's also necessary for us to be able to go and grab a bag of pre prepared pasta and a sauce out of a jar. It's necessary for us to go and grab a shepherd's pie that's been made from Tesco's own. You know, it's necessary to have all of that in our lives in order to make it so that our, our lives are balanced and settled. The minute we have just one or the other, we haven't got that balanced life. We're either going crazy because we're having to prepare everything to the nth degree, or we're only eating the stuff that we buy pre packaged. So, therefore, we're not learning how to make it you know, make, make everything from fresh.
0: And I don't know about you
1: when you were um, after inpatient or whatever, but I found it was vital
0: for me that I didn't have to overthink food prep. Yeah. So actually for me to continue to get my calories in, to continue to restore my weight, to not lose ground after I'd had periods of treatment was actually, I am just going to have to pull the cling film lid off this and stick it in the oven. I am yeah. just going to have to stick it in the oven, walk away and go and have my bath. And know that at the end of that, I will have a meal. If I'd have had to have stood in the kitchen and prepared everything from scratch, I would have been weighing it out, measuring it out, yeah. looking at, you know, it would have just been absolutely just what it, well, it wouldn't have happened. And then I would have relapsed. So
1: yeah, and that was the chink for me, the second that anorexia felt like she was able to get in, she got in, like you've just said. So if I, if I was making even just something simple, like, I don't know, a tuna sandwich, you know, like you said, everything was like measured. I remember like I'd get a little tin of tuna and I would portion it almost like exactly, as, as, as close to half as I possibly could because I told myself that I was only allowed half. I mean, yesterday I made a tuna sandwich and I had one and a half tins because I was flipping starving and the bowl looked tiny. So it's like, it, it, it is, it, it's, it's sometimes there was a definite process for me, like you where I had to go for that ready-made stuff in order to teach myself that it was okay not to know exactly what was in the food. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well we'll watch this space, won't we? We'll see yeah. what comes out of it. but um, I, I just to reiterate what we've both said there is if you're watching any of that kind of play out in in the media at the minute, just remember if you're in recovery, it's not for you. this is not something that you need to concern yourself with. rip the lid off, tear the packet open, whatever you need to do and I can absolutely promise you that you know throughout my recovery And right now, as much as I am an educated woman and I really, you know, I genuinely care about having a sort of relatively healthy intake of food that has vitamins and minerals and all the rest in it. I can bloody assure you I have chocolate every day. I'm a a biscuit fiend. I like my biscuits and I like I like snacks and I see absolutely no reason why they wouldn't be part of my life. It's about balance. Okay, that's that's the preaching over. On with that, <laughs> I suppose we should talk about this next six weeks. So um, summer ahead, it's going to be something that is a potential challenge for lots of people, depending where they are in their recovery. I thought we should maybe both look back and say, you know, when we've kind of navigated summer holidays in particular, is there things that we think, oh God, wish somebody had told us that or given us a good shake and reminded of us? when we were going through that sort of holiday period anything that kind of leaps to the front for you
1: I, I just think that it's, it's again it for me it was all that kind of seriously over prepping everything like preparing the life out of life almost and not just I'm not just talking about food I'm just anything from an event place just don't sweat the small stuff don't kind of over manage everything and micromanage everyone and everything um and that obviously that is reminiscent of those behaviours in the kitchen at the same time, you know, that needs to know every little tiny detail of everything was was, was there. Um, but the summer the summer is a beautiful and wonderful and and exciting and inspirational time of year, you know. It's great to be warm, even if you're pooly, this is maybe the only time of the year when you might be warm, you know, if you've got yourself, you know, your body's in a state where it's not managing to retain its own heat. But it does throw up challenges and 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 issues um I would like to see though this summer is another example of a of a kickstart time if we need if anyone's listening and I think right I need I need a reason again to kind of ki- re- research myself and kickstart then let's make it this summer yeah I think it's a
0: great shout I think it gives someone an opportunity to have almost like a bit of a schedule in mind of Right, starts now week one of six weeks, and I'm going to really focus on my recovery. And of course, you know, the holiday time it just it does expose lots of potential challenges, but also it's a time where we do try and relax a little bit more socially, don't we? So we can see people more, perhaps be less focused on work. I don't know about you, but I always noticed during those weeks that somehow the email doesn't go as crazy quite as often. And we can feel able to focus on ourselves a little bit more than we maybe feel that we can ordinarily.
1: And it's maybe thinking about some key behaviors that are going to mean that you can explore the summer better this year than you have done before if you've been pooly. so not thinking about, I'm going to challenge everything because I think that is one of the mistakes we sometimes in eating disorder recovery that we we kind of think we need to challenge everything in one go and, and we'll do a challenge and move on and never repeat it where therefore, therefore it just becomes a, an event as opposed to an actual recovery action but think about those key key things that would make summer a better summer so things like um let's explore social eating we can go back out again so the chances are that we're going to, going to be, and like you said, people are going to be more relaxed. So maybe if you've got an issue around social eating, that'll be a really good thing to, to have a think about. Things like barbecues and fish and chips and and, and takeaways, stuff that, that's kind of is, again, from a from a social point of view. But because you might be out and about, you're going to have to just maybe grab something rather than do it maybe challenge yourself not to make a picnic I used to make picnics everywhere we went like everywhere I was like the picnic queen people would actually say to me no, like, oh don't worry Sarah love food and I used, to, I used to always make sandwiches in a pack up always because that was me controlling what we were going to eat So if you're like that, don't. It's descriptive, doesn't it?
0: Rather than be spontaneous. And I think one thing that you want this summer to be, it's kind of let's bring back spontaneity. If that's saying yes at the last minute to somebody who invites you to a park or a beach or asks you to go and have a pub lunch somewhere or meet in a cafe or just meet up and then buy food in a grocery shop together, rather than come prepared with all your beach picnic food, you know, that you've. Had loads of hours and days to think
1: about. Exactly. In, in, picnics are great, but get someone else to prepare the picnic, and you just sit on the blanket and then see what what's served up to you and and go for it. And and all those other things, you know, if you hit barbecues and social events and the food is becoming overwhelming, then again, you get your 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 team out, your, your cheerleading squad, and you ask them to plate something up, and you 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 just get your toolkit out as and when you need it over the summer. But make it so that this summer again isn't one that's going to keep us trapped. The other thing that I think. Obviously, it comes up with summers is clothes, and I know. I think it was the last podcast we were speaking about. You know, if you've got shorts in your wardrobe that you wore last year, and you're even thinking that it might cause you some stress, then don't even try them on. Do not put them on. Just get online or go to Primark or Tesco or whatever and get yourself a pair of shots that you know are going to fit and just just start from there. Don't look back at the stuff that, that you had on last year if you think it's going to cause you stress. Such a great bit of advice because actually, why do we
0: even bother to get it out the wardrobe and put them on when we almost know we're setting ourselves yeah. up for failure? We're just doing it. It's that sort of saboteur part of the eating disorder, isn't it? That how can I possibly make myself feel worse about myself? Oh, I know. I'll remind myself that actually my body is changing by putting on these clothes that once I could fit into. Now I no longer can. And then I'll get really distressed and upset about my changing body. No,
1: just don't do it in the first place. Exactly, and you don't need to be spending lots of money. Like I said, you you could take twenty quid down to your local Primark, and you could kick yourself out for a couple of weeks of summer wear. Um, so yeah, I just I just don't because I, I, I made the mistake of giving myself that stress, and it was horrendous. It's horrible. So just don't do it. Don't don't repeat my mistake.
0: Yeah, I, I think we do that. We set ourselves up for failure way way too much, don't we? And I think the other thing about holidays, there will be those of you out there that are going through recovery who already know that you have been guilty of destroying a family holiday or a holiday that you had with a loved one or some kind of experience that you've been on in the past, you will know that your eating disorder played a part in diminishing your experience. I would use that as a real good motivation to say, I am not going to have another year of looking back at a photo where I realise that I was kind of vacant behind the eyes I wasn't even there I wasn't with my family I'm there in the photo but I wasn't present I wasn't enjoying the moment I wasn't experiencing it like they were why do that to yourself and I I can look back on so many experiences and think gosh yeah you know that I am the girl in that photo but actually she wasn't there she was freezing cold or I remember that you know I didn't want to go out for dinner or what, whatever it might be, but it's almost quite distressing to look back and realise how much the eating disorder masked, marred what should have been, you know, wonderful
1: summertime experiences. Exactly. And, and again, all that kind of overthinking and worrying and you creating your own anxiety bubble because you're not letting yourself kind of rest and relax. And that's another thing, isn't it? About the summer is that it's, it's a weird one because we tend to get more active in the summer because we're out and about, maybe, or we're on holiday. We're camping, but then at the same time, people are tired because it's their first holiday away from work. So then, other people get more restful, and it, it's it's again, it's that necessary balance of of being active but being aware of your recovery. So if your family, like, my, my, I've got a, a part of my family are big walkers, and then they will be coming up in the in the um, in the summer holiday. And this has happened in the past where I've been really excited in the recovery because I knew we'll go we on a massive hike in the countryside. And then for a couple of summers, I had to I had to be really, really forceful with myself and said, no, I'm not going on that hike because that's not that's not what my recovery needs. And it's just being mindful of that really necessary balance between being active and going to the beach with your family. But you don't have to be running around with your nephew you don't have to be you could be sat digging a sandcastle rather than the one that's walking backwards and forwards to the sea doing the job of getting the water when you know you're not getting the water you're getting your step count up it's that kind of just be really really conscious of how potentially more active you're becoming almost accidentally Yeah,
0: there's something almost to be said for what uh, for saying to yourself before the holiday even begins of of what would holiday triumph look like to me? And you could almost do the equivalent of a summer holiday bucket list. Now, whether that's, you know, let somebody create a picnic for me, spontaneously meet someone for a pub lunch, surprise everyone by buying ice creams from an ice cream van when no one expects you to have anything other than a Diet Coke, you know, whatever it might be, but you could have that list of 25 50 things that you want to conquer to know that actually this is what summer in recovery or a recovered body feels like and I think maybe doing a bit of that advanced thinking even just as boring as it sounds sitting and writing it all down will remind you where you're at on that how hard each of those tasks is going to feel to you I mean I know I could write all of those things down now and I think wouldn't bat an eyelid about going and spontaneously eating out or ordering an ice cream but at the point of early stage recovery some of those things would have brought, you know
1: brought you out in hives and well like two two right two right and also if 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 you're on the part of your recovery though when you look back at that list because that you know I'm i'm a big planner i like planning and there's a lot of like really key behaviors in there or key foods or, or whatever it is that you focus that you're thinking actually these are bigger than just something I can just kind of have a go at don't forget it's got to be that that kind of developed constantly kind of collective approach to the challenges that you do. And you can't just challenge, I don't know, sausage rolls on Monday and Tuesday, and then move on to chicken nuggets and never do sausage rolls again, because sausage rolls will always just be a protected food that you did that once, and you're not, never going to be able to be spontaneous with it. So if, if one of your things you're thinking, actually, you know, my portion control and weighing is what's really hindering me from living and an, an the life I want to and being spontaneous, you are going to have to keep that repeated across many, 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 many weeks and adding other things to it, not replacing it with something else.
0: Yeah, I do do think that keeps a lot of people stuck, almost that feeling that they've conquered one challenge, but they haven't then repeated it multiple times. So it's that brains where I'm saying, yes, done it, that's it, tick, it's off the board.
1: But actually, it's only achieved when it becomes part of everyday life. Yeah, and especially those big key behaviours, you know, like we were talking earlier, you know, portioning food, weighing things out, being able to just just go out for, for a meal, weighing yourself, what, whatever those big, big, big hinge behaviours are, they've got to, it's got to be cumulative, you've got to, you've got to keep adding, but you keep the stuff you've already put in so that it stops being um precious and stops being something to be afraid of.
0: Something else that I did and I just would um, I don't know challenge you to think about doing is if you are going away and obviously there's all that thing about all well, that's changing routines and patterns of behavior. It's a really good opportunity when you're packing everything up and you know, your hair straighteners are coming with you and you, you know, favorite snuggly jumper for the evenings, whatever it might be, leave your Fitbit at home. Well, you know, if you've still got one, I mean, Sarah and I have given you chapter and verse on why we think you shouldn't have one in the first place, but anything that you use to measure and track your steps and activity. Now's a real good opportunity to say, I don't need to wear that. If I need to wear a watch to go out in on a nice evening, to go out for a nice meal, I'm going to put a nice bracelet watch or something glamorous on. I am not going to wear my Fitbit just because I'm a slave to this. So test yourself, leave it behind. I, I think having it in a drawer back at home and knowing that you can survive if it's seven days, 14 days without tracking it's a really good habit to break.
1: Yeah, too. I couldn't, could not agree more. You know, I couldn't agree more. And I think that what you said there's really interesting because I've said it myself. Oh, I need to keep it on because it's my watch. I need to know what time it is. Well, it's not been that long. You know, I'm not that old and it's not been that long since we could have a watch that didn't track our every movement and our every heartbeat. Um, so yeah, just... Again, a cheapy from Argos, a five pound normal, just rich watch, wrist watch, or just one in, that's in the bottom of your drawer, just replace it and and use that as a as a reason to kickstart, not having to track every little tiny element of your life. Nothing will happen to you because your Fitbit's left at home, other than you will get better and stronger and happier without it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you, you know you're you'd be amazed how much brighter and more relaxed you would feel having just conquered that short period of time without it then that's all these habits take isn't it it's kind of just breaking it for a short period of time day one feels like shit day two feels slightly less you know it's not so bothersome you don't think about it quite so much But by day five, six and seven, you've kind of you realize you're not no longer being a slave to that thing around your wrist that you have been for so long. And it's got you nowhere. It's got you absolutely nowhere. If you do want to track anything while you're um, enjoying the holiday period, I would say sleep. Don't forget sleep and rest are just vital. I think many of us. you know, I know we've started to talk more about kind of occupational balance um, within the world of eating disorder recovery. I think sleep, we fail to appreciate how much our body and brain is trying to rest. Now is your opportunity, whether that's on a sun lounger or just if it's a wet day and you're in a, you know, an Airbnb somewhere or in a hotel or whatever, just grab an extra hour of napping because your body, when it's trying to repair
1: itself from an eating disorder, it will just be bloody exhausted
0: all the time.
1: Now, when, you, when you said earlier about, you know, what would a holiday golden moment be or a holiday triumph be? I think that's a key one, like getting a sun lounger or a, a garden chair or a mat, a rug on the on the grass, and just giving yourself permission permission just to be still. You know, and, and, and it's lovely when when the sun does come out, you know, who doesn't love laying down with the sun on your face and maybe a book by your side? Um and and being there for an hour, hour and a half, as long as you have got your sun cream on, um, you know who doesn't love that feeling, especially when you've been in grey, horrible England for, and you've been locked down for the last eighteen months, um, yeah. So so I totally agree. Like like give your give your body absolute as much possible rest as it possibly can do, and yeah, you're right. Proper deep deep sleep so important.
0: Yeah. Oh, I also just wanted to make reference, Sarah, just to people. I know we, we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast who are parents or may, maybe even partners of people with an eating disorder. And I know for them, they might be listening to this and saying, well, that's really helpful for the person that's got an eating disorder. But I am parent, mother, father, carer, foster parent, whatever, or husband. And I'm being told by the person I love, They won't go on holiday, don't want to go on holiday because they can't leave the routine. They're afraid to be away from the pattern, their particular regimes around eating. And that parent partner might be thinking, I should probably do what they say. I should probably just go along with that because actually it's not going to help to cause them more distress to go on a family holiday Now, I don't know where you sit on this, but I think this is a bit like when you're trying to help someone recover and they say that they need to be in charge of the kitchen and doing all the cooking. I don't think we help that person get well until in, in occasions like this, we need to be saying, I'm sorry, but actually this respite opportunity this getting away from the the sort of you know your routines of life this is vital to you and not only that it's vital to me as your husband wife partner parent and it's vital to the rest of the family network that we have this break how do you how do you feel about that
1: I think you've got to remind yourself that you're not causing the person you love stress you're causing their illness stress so you know I've always separated my two out. So when you said there that someone's saying, no, no, I can't come because I can't break from my routine, by saying, no, actually, we are going to do it, you're actually supporting the person that you love. And it's the eating disorder that you're pissing off. So that's why there's that initial fury and that initial fear. Um, unfortunately, the only way out is through within eating disorder recovery, as we all know. And you have to go through that pain and that that tantrum and that torment with that person that you love in order to start helping them break away from the clutches of that of, of, of the eating disorder so if you've literally can't get them out on a holiday or you know to break routine, i would argue you then got to, you've got to bring it into the house you 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 t- take control of the routine in in the home you take control of the kitchen i, I t- couldn't agree more that the biggest biggest thing one of the biggest things for me was when I was told I couldn't. I wasn't. I literally was banned from my own kitchen, and it was. I would stand in the front room shouting and screaming and swearing. And I had a child in the house having a proper proper tantrum. And God, God loving me, you know, He held fast and He held strong. And not too long was it like, oh, okay, right, I'm settling down actually with this element a little bit. And it, yes, it was painful, but it wasn't me that was in pain, Sarah. It was the fact that the Easton was really, really pissed off um so it, it, and, and I know it, I can't imagine I've, I've never looked after someone with an eating disorder that's this is the thing I've been the person that I had to be looked after so it's difficult for me to understand how painful it is for that carer and that loved one and I can only imagine that it's horrendous but it, it's got to be called out it's got to be called out
0: yeah and I think as you said um before it's it's vital that you tell yourself that you are not in a fight with your child or your partner you're in the fight with the eating disorder and the way that you win is to really stand stand firm and help that person get well. And it is, you know, it sounds a bit trite, doesn't it, to say, "Oh, you've got to be cruel to be kind." You're not even being cruel to the person; you're only being cruel to the evil eating disorder. And you need the way you drive a bloody great wedge between the two that that person you love and the eating disorder. The way you drive that wedge through is to act on it and, and just respond anyway in the interests of your family and the love that you share for that person. So whatever that looks like. I mean, you make a great point there about perhaps bringing the holiday into the home. And, you know, we saw some really creative stuff. I, I certainly yeah. did on... Um, social channels over the lockdown last year where people you know maybe they should have been in Italy and um but they couldn't because of lockdown so what did they do they had a day that was devoted to Italian culture and you know they cooked an Italian meal together and and they had Italian music on at the table or whatever it was there are real ways of bringing the holiday to you because it it might not only be that you feel that it would be too much to take that person away but it it could be cost and we all know that cost has hit a lot of families this year but I still think however you live that holiday experience out it's something that breaks the regime and the ritual that will really start to
1: unsettle the eating disorder and again it doesn't need to be great big vast grand changes of breaking that routine of that ritual. I think, again, I think all of us in, in the eating disorder world, we're, we're, we're guilty of having to have the the biggest thing we can possibly think about challenging. We'll challenge it all in one go. You know, breaking that ritual to support that person could literally be putting off breakfast for an hour, bringing breakfast forward by an hour. A little little things that to, to a non-eating disordered person doesn't seem like an awful significant event but for me my breakfast had to be between eight and half past eight if it, 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 it could not be at any other time day so when that it was shifted around for me it was like oh my god oh, okay I can't I can't eat breakfast a bit closer to lunch or I can eat you know it's it's that little tiny shifts of behavior and routine can make a massive difference
0: yeah well, I think we provided some good tips there haven't we both for so. people that are kind of going through recovery but also those of you that are looking after someone and I'm just urge you to get in touch because actually if you want to share those experiences of what a holiday has felt like for you at a point in your recovery but also share with us some of that frustration that you felt in trying to help someone and and to be that support you know we'd love to have that conversation because as you rightly point out Sarah we've we've come from the perspective of being the the looked after person as opposed to the person that's just agonizing over what to do for the best.
1: I would love to have that conversation and I would love to have someone, you know, really, really passionate about the fact that that we've got it wrong, that we've, you know, we, we don't know what it's like from that side of the fence. So please, 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 it'd be great to have a, a proper discussion about what, what that is like, because then that's only going to help everybody, make everybody's lives stronger and healthier over time.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe there's a danger that sometimes when things are really hard as that parent or partner, it seems wrong or inappropriate to call out how difficult it was and how angry they got about it but actually that's as you say that's what helps inform how we can all help one another be better supports to people with an eating disorder you know the the way to get through an eating disorder is not only some of our own tools but actually having that tribe around us and that tribe needs to be supported via the experiences that have come through
1: how other people have lived through it Exactly, exactly. There's no one going to fight our corner for us, so let's all join together and fight it ourselves.
0: (laughs) No one that likes to fight
1: more than us, (laughs) Sarah. Certainly
0: when it's against me in disorder. Too right. (laughs) Well, that kind of wraps our um, Summer Advice uh, podcast episode up. And on that, I think you're away for a little bit of time Uh, next week, Yeah,
1: I'm going camping. I bought a tent. I read the advertisement wrong, though. It said a three-man tent. It was a cheapie on a gum tree i've read as three-man tent which is what i wanted and actually came home with an eight-man tent so it's a very large tent oh my goodness well, you've got plenty of space then oh wow it was a bargain considering it was many people but yes camping next week so uh th- think of me won't you while i'm stuck somewhere in a muddy field
0: oh we'll pray for the weather for you please do thanks everyone for listening and we will be back again very soon